you. Give me a break. Yeah, no worries. I'm uh, not, not going to hold it against you. Okay, thanks. Um, now, this play, it centers around a certain prime minister who is not yes. named, but might seem familiar to some of our audience. Now, is this, yes. a, is this a true story? Uh, not, uh, not a true story. There are some real facts in it, but they have been, some of them have been jumbled around. Mm -hmm. Uh, they use real people, um, and they use some fake people as well. Yeah. I mean, it is a, it is a, a play, a theatrical play. So there are some embellishments here and there. Um, but I, I feel like a lot of it, you know, it sort of talks about how this certain prime minister, um, sort of uses the media for his advantage. Yeah. Now, the story kind of follows like a parallel universe kind of thing. It's uh, the last election happened, but um, instead of the NDP uh, scoring all the seats in, in Quebec, uh, the Conservatives took, took a lot of seats, so the majority was even bigger. Yes. So it's, a, it's, a, it's in 2011, and the seats that the NDP got are, in, our, in this play, proud. They are the Conservative seats, so mm -hmm. they got a majority in their first year in power. Right. And you play one of those uh, Quebec MPs. I play a Quebec MP from a made-up riding called um, cormier lac mm -hmm. And uh, I play a new MP who just sort of got in on a whim and didn't realize she was going to get in. And it's sort of a, uh, a power struggle between her and the prime minister. And they, and they fight back and forth and... He uses her to distract the press, and then she ends up learning a lot from him and sort of having a, uh, a, a good relationship with him. And uh, then it sort of unfolds in a very comedic way. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't want to give it all away. No, 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 no. We just want to sort of entice, you know, get little, little bite, little bite-sized pieces to get people interested. Oh, yeah. Now, and when we, when it, we, go ahead, go ahead. It, I was just going to say, it's it's very funny. Yeah. It's um a very, it's not like, I, I know politics, some people are like, oh man, I'm boring. I don't really want to hear about it or know about it. But this is such a great piece of theater because it's, it is comical. It does make you sort of think and laugh. It doesn't change your mind necessarily, but it does start a conversation. And I think right now, with the way that our politics are going, and I know for myself, the way that our prime minister is acting, uh, not on my behalf, but yeah. on the behalf of a certain core people that it's just, it's very interesting to see and to hear the reactions of people. Oh yeah, I, I can bet. I mean, especially now we have an election coming up. Oh yeah. And that's like, we're calling this, we did this show last year mm -hmm. and I was nominated for my performance and we're doing this as a, an election year encore. Yeah. Just to get people talking, just to get people thinking about it and really, you know, getting getting excited about our our vote that that's coming up. Yeah, I know it's take it's it for granted and exactly. go out there and vote or go there and spoil your ballot or, you know, whatever whatever it happens to be, whatever you whatever choice you make, go out and make a choice. Like Yeah, just go get, and make get, a choice. Get like, yourself it doesn't counted. matter if it's the right one. Yeah. Well, it does, but uh, <laughs> that's my own personal opinion. <laughs> but I always I always find that the 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 most striking number that comes out of the election is the number of people that didn't vote. I and, totally agree. Yeah, I and totally if, the, if all the people that thought that their vote didn't count went out and voted. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. it's important for all of us to go out and vote. And I think anyone who is able to vote should see this play. Absolutely. And and uh, I just have to say that you've got one of the best actors in the country playing the prime minister, Mr. Andrew Mr. Wheeler. Mr. Andrew Wheeler, yes, he is. So what's he, it like working with him? It's great. He's super fun. He's uh, he's a bit of a curmudgeon, which I like. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but no, Andrew and I get along really, really well, and it's so much fun to work with him. And he has, he's such a wealth of knowledge and really makes us uh, dive deep into the script and, and think about the choices that we're making and, and also sort of, you know, questions us and why we're making those choices and really makes us think about you know, we have this great working relationship where we're allowed to ask each other questions going, why Why are you making that choice? What is going on here? You know, so we're really in it for the, the good of the play. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no, um, there's no ego involved in this. It's just, okay, let's make sure that this play and our audience understands what's going on and make sure this play is as best as it can be. It's the most fun you'll have talking about politics all month. Oh, my gosh, I know. <laughs>
<laughs> All right, let's let's get the details out. It's at the Fire Hall Arts Center in the downtown east side on uh, 280 East Cordova. It runs now until the 25th of April, so there's about two weeks left. Yeah, and there's a, a pay-what-you-can matinee on Wednesdays at 1 p.m., right. which I always find is makes a theater, um, it makes the theater affordable and yeah. accessible to everyone. So if you have 10 bucks, if you have 5 bucks, if you want to pay 25 bucks, if you like the show afterwards, you can pay more money if you wanted to, you know? There's always that option. Yeah, and there's a great there's a great patio in the back, um, huge big patio and courtyard, and they have yeah. a great little bar there. And the firehouse are really, I really respect them as a, a company and great place for theater and dance and all sorts of things that yeah. they put on there. And this uh, it's it's uh, the 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 timing is perfect because today's the last day of classes at UBC, so oh, uh, you know the students will have congratulations everyone. They'll have plenty of time during the day on Wednesday to go out and see you know, to go and see the show. Oh, great. Well, this has been a delight, Amelia. Thanks very much for uh, taking some time talking with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, and, and maybe we'll talk again uh, at the end of the month when you're getting ready to go on tour with Dissolve. Yeah, that would be great. We're also doing, with Dissolve is also in town from the 5th to the 9th as well. Yeah. At Studio 1398. So it's going to be, it's a fun, it's a fun month coming up. You bet. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Thank you we'll so much. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Are you ready for a rockin' spring party? The latest issue of Discorder, that little magazine you know and love, is on the way. The April Launch Party fundraiser is taking place at the Astoria on Friday, April 17th. Some fantastic local acts will be playing, including Still Creek Murder, Crowbots, and Romanian-born electronic artist Stefana Fatilla. Doors are at 8pm, and it's $5 before 10pm. That's the April fundraiser for Discorder Magazine, The Astoria, April 17th, brought to you by CITR 101.9 FM. Hey, you! Stop! Stop there! You! Who are you? I'm a local musician. I've never seen you. Well, we've never actually played a show. You should submit to Music Waste. Uh, what's that? Music Waste is a local music festival taking place throughout East Vancouver from June 4th to 7th, welcoming submissions from all musical genres and bands with varying levels of experience. Not a musician? You can also submit to Art Waste, a collaborative art festival presented by Music Waste. Submissions are open until April 17th. To submit, visit www.musicwaste.ca. Hi guys, welcome back to the Arts Report. Back with me, Ashley. I'm going to review a uh, play that I went to not too long ago. This is the play Farewell My Lovely, which is playing at the Arts Club at the Granville Island stage. So if you know any Raymond Chandler or maybe, let's say, uh, uh, noir kind of films, then you kind of would already get an idea of what the story is going to be about. So the story is about a private detective named Philip Marlowe. This is set in Los Angeles, 1941. And it is exactly as you think. There are crooked people. There are damsels in distress. A lot of smoking guns and a lot of car chases and whatnot. And... For me, when I see a lot of uh, Raymond Chandler's films, actual films like black and white being kind of portrayed on screen, they have a different uh, different kind of flair to it because it is a film They and they have all this kind of like effect in which they use the camera to really heighten sort of the suspense in many of the scenes. And that's why a lot of the um, detective kind of flicks have that sort of tension um, Farewell, My Lovely tries to kind of capture that using a lot of uh, visual aids such as projections and the projectionist who worked on this, uh, I guess, this production, his name is Jamie Nesbitt. He did a really, really good job in kind of capturing the essence of the um, noir by using his projections. They use it for the transitions, they use it to kind of like uh, make a mood sort of come out in which theater can't really do by itself without the projections. 
but because it is theater and maybe it was just the script itself it came off a little uh, campy <laughs> so I, I, for me when i was watching the show i wasn't kind of biting down on my nails i'm like oh what's gonna happen what's gonna happen it was it was, it was a little bit predictable because you already know what's gonna happen due to the conventions of film noir but um it was just kind of funny <laughs> the uh, main character uh philip marlowe uh, played by um, Mr. Uh, uh, Graham Percy, he's he's kind of a, a. You would think that all the adjectives in these kind of um, settings are these kind of like, these rugged, kind of damaged men and whatnot. And yeah, he's damaged goods, but it's still kind of in that sad puppy kind of way. I'm so sorry, but that's how that's like the sensation that I felt. He wasn't this kind of. Um, I guess, dashing dude, but there is also kind of like his own charm to it. But if you are looking for kind of a gritty sort of thing, unfortunately, Farewell My Lovely won't be able to kind of provide that for you if you want that kind of darkness. It's They try though, it's really good, they try, but it's better off to embrace it for its kind of funny script. Because the more you try to, like, make it serious, the less you're going to enjoy this play, I think. The more, if you're open to it and you're like, okay, now they have the psychic that they have to go to and everyone's drinking all the time. Like, what? If you if you go, yeah, you know what? They're doing that. I'll let them do that. Then you're going to enjoy this play. Like, I did. In the beginning, of course, I was like, well, you know, what's going on? This is kind of like, you know, a little cheesy, but anything else? Then nope this is it <laughs> then okay sure all right i accept it then i really really started to enjoy a lot more one thing about farewell my lovely that i picked up on immediately was the set design set design i thought was really really well done because they only have that kind of one proscenium stage and they don't have a lot of uh space to move into kind of um depict new places new settings and this uh, I guess production requires a lot on travel. They use, again, I mentioned the projections. And what they did is they had this like very clever way of using um, these doors. And I'm not going to say too much on it. For people who are more interested, go check it out. I really enjoyed it. And the lighting that they used was really, it gave off the film noir sort of feeling. Uh, there was a lot of black and white involved. The music was really good too in evoking some sort of emotion from the uh, audience and some of the the people here they act they sing and they sing quite lovely they have kind of like that crooner kind of sort of uh, bar girl kind of esque thing going on and it's really really nice the main action of the story it does revolve around this um, detective Philip Marlowe he's trying to find this uh, woman named Velma because this uh, crook who came out of a jail is looking for he went to jail falsely for her and that's the tale that we're opened with and so he has to find this missing woman as well as deal with other uh, sort of um, shenanigans along the way his one search for a missing woman turns up to be much more than he expects one thing I also thought that was very interesting that people should know about is this, it is a, adapted from a Raymond Chandler original novel, but it is um, adapted by a local Vancouver playwright, Aaron Bushkowski. So it is a silver commission, which at the, um, at the arts club means that um, uh, people donate to have these kind of uh, stories be changed into dramatic texts. So it is kind of a way to support local playwrights, and they're commissioning them to perform on a Vancouver stage. So basically, it's contributing to the local arts culture. So I thought that was really, really neat. So it is all of a Vancouver production. And one thing I also really liked about uh, Farewell My Lovely is that, um, besides the kind of the obvious storyline, you could kind of tell they did their best to play to the period, which is really great. So. One of my favorite characters, the uh, the police uh, 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 chief, Nulty. 
uh, played by actor Stephen Hare, was I loved him. I thought he was really great. He had that kind of like gruff, like I'm so just like angry about everything and disgruntled, but I'll still like go to you for help kind of thing. Like I really, really enjoyed it. So all these people, they kind of are kind of caricature sort of you know people, and you'll kind of know okay, he's you know this guy, he's that guy, she's this type of person, but. Um, if you're not looking to delve too, too kind of deep on who is who and what is what, you'll really enjoy the script because some of the lines that they have are really, really fast-paced, kind of these like lewd jokes that if you don't listen well or if you're off thinking about something else, you'll miss. And some of the comedic timing, hilarious, really good comedic timing. So again, uh, Farewell My Lovely is... Um, performing on the Granville Island stage that's next to the public market. It is running on April the 2nd until May 2nd, so it's a one-month run. And if you are interested, I really, really recommend checking it out. Like, it's a really, really fun kind of, again, campy. Is it it purposeful or inadvertent? I don't know. It's kind of campy. I like it. So if you are interested, it's uh, showing Mondays and Tuesdays at 7.30, Wednesdays and Saturdays at 8 p.m., and I believe on Sundays they have uh, 2 p.m. shows. Alberta itself already has a, it's one of the few Alberta regulatory environments in the country. It has Alberta. What is an exception? What I said was actually what I've been saying for some time. Alberta and what is crazy would be for us to impose costs only on our Alberta. So look, that's what Alberta has done. The Fire Hall Arts Centre takes on Stephen Harper with Proud, a political satire that will have you rolling in the aisles. Don't miss this sexy, cheeky and surprising play about what really happens in the back rooms of Canadian politics. On from April 7th to 25th, see firehallartcenter.ca for details. Check out this year's fun and thought-provoking films for kids and young at heart. Real to Real, April 10th to 17th, features films from around the world and includes hands-on workshops and activities for the whole family. Don't miss the Saturday morning pajama party and Sunday fun day, the weekend of April 11th to 12th at the Van City Theatre and Roundhouse Community Centre. Real to Real runs April 10th to 17th. For more info, check out r2rfestival.org. This is Sophia Neworth and Akira Shu here with Matthew Roberts, creator and star of the new comedy series Fabulous, which will be premiering on OutTV. So explain about the show Fabulous to us. <laughs> the, so, the show Fabulous is based on two main characters, David, the role that I play, mm-hmm. and Mark, um, who plays my husband. And what has happened, it takes place just after DOMA has been repealed by the Supreme Court of the United States. And they're the first two openly gay couples that move on to a naval base in Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, Norfolk, Virginia is the head of the Atlantic Fleet Command for the United States Naval. And it's the largest port for the U.S. Navy. And uh, they had a daughter called um, Cindy, who's 16 years old, that was actually brought up by David's mother who's an alcoholic and drug addict. She's functioning, (laughs) and she's quite funny. That role's going to be played by Linda Waters, uh, who's an amazing actress. And we deal with uh, homosexuality, we deal with drug addictions, uh, we deal with sex addiction. A lot of of shows don't deal with that because it's been such a taboo subject. Um, but we thought, you know, since we're going to bring up the homosexuality in the military, why not bring up everything else that goes with it, too, right? Absolutely, really pushing the envelope. Yeah. Um, what kind of plot twists can we expect from Fabulous? Well, David had to give up his um, role as being a female impersonator. Uh, he runs a nightclub called Fabulous. And uh, in order to marry Mark and move on to base, so he had to give up a part of his personality. But he's slowly getting back into that. So he dresses and drag at the house, and then he goes out and buys dresses 
at the supermarket. His nemesis is uh, the commander's wife. He's played by uh, uh, Robin Bradley, who's an amazing actress. Her and I get along very well. And um, we battle back and forth because she's got to be prim and proper and everything fully military. And uh, we just go at it. I mean, we don't even have to say anything when we're actually on set. We just give each other looks, and it's just funny as hell. We deal with that. Um, then we deal, when it gets later on down the road, that um, Sarah's actually questioning herself as well and the relationship between her and her husband. So you get that aspect. And then Cindy gets a boyfriend, and then we deal with, you know, raising a teenager. And, you know, I'm, I play David, who's actually the role, basically the mother. <laughs> and, uh, it, it's just a lot of slapstick. Um, and we deal with the discrimination on base and what, you know, military personnel go through. Um, why did you choose to make the show a comedy and not something more Well, <laughs> I knew that it would be more well-received as a comedy than it actually would be as straight in your face. This is what occurred. Um, if we deal with more of a comedy, it's more of accepting and then being portrayed as a victim. You never want to be portrayed as a victim because that gives you know, them the power over you. And I didn't want that to be shown. Um, when did you join the Naval Forces, and for how long were you serving? I joined in, let's see, let's take that back. I, it was in high school. I was, took my SATs when I was a sophomore, which is completely unheard of. And... Um, I got such a high grades, the Naval Intelligence Force came to my school and my counselor took me out of class and they offered me a position. So that was when I was 16. Very young. Very young. They wanted somebody that could infiltrate as a student in overseas operations. And um, they said that I was perfect for it. Um, after that, how long were you in the... Uh, all together, close to four years. And how much of the writing would you say in the events in your show are true to events in your time in the Navy? A lot of them are going to be true events that happened. And characters as well, are those yes. two different people? Yes, yes. Um, I'm going to be bringing in somebody, my actual affair that I had when I was in the military. That's going to be brought up. Um, it was a, a Marine who was also my roommate. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was having some issues as well. Are you still in contact with him at all? Um, he was my first, and I wanted to stay in contact with him. I really did. But they made it impossible. They, the military, made it impossible for me. How did the military find out about your affair and about your sexuality? Uh, I actually got tired of lying, and I went up to my chief warrant officer and said, you know, this is what's going on. I can't, I can't lie anymore. I can't do it. It's too hard. And uh, to put on a face of being not true to who I am is just not the kind of person I am. Although that I was headed towards the CIA because that was where I was going after my enlistment. And, um, yeah, it's, it was, they said that I was either going to go for in for a court-martial um, because of the relationships I've had, or I could just leave. And I would not have any benefits whatsoever. So they took away all my medical benefits. They took away my VA loans. They took away my GI bills. Um, and then, <laughs> to top it all off, uh, they sent a letter on my discharge papers to my mother. And on top of it, it said that your son's a faggot. So they infiltrated your personal life, life along with your career. Correct. Oh, my goodness. They completely destroyed me. Have, since DOMA, have they had any efforts at all to apologize no. or acknowledge your... No, they have not. 
Um, to my knowledge, the U.S. government has never apologized to any serviceman or woman that's been discharged because of homosexuality. Did you experience any sort of support at all? My, actually, my commanding officer didn't care because I have an, an exemplary military record. I had no problems whatsoever with anybody or anything. And he says, he doesn't understand it. I, he, he told me, you, were, you did such a great job. I don't understand why they would do this to you. And um, him and the people that I worked with in the office, they said the same thing. They said, we don't have any problems with you either. You do your job, you go home, you don't cause any problems at the office, you don't bring your personal life in. I mean, what's the big deal? He told them, you know, you took away the power from them to be able to blackmail you because there's, we had deal with, mm-hmm. um, when you're dealing in the intelligence force, it's, uh, it's a very sensitive issue about, you know, possible things that other agents and agencies can blackmail you for for information. So I took that power away from them. So they couldn't use that against me. And so there's, they said there's no absolute, no reason why you sh- they should have done this to you. My mother was pissed. <laughs> oh, when she got the letter, oh my God, I thought, because I wasn't out to my family yet, and uh, she got the letter in the mail, and it was just crazy. Uh, I went to a lawyer because of what they did, and because they sent it to the U.S. mail, and um, they got the lawyer got a message from JAG Corps, which is basically the legal division of the U.S. military, uh, they said that I was unable to sue them because of a torch, um, a law back in 1974 that said the U.S. military cannot be sued whatsoever for any personal reasons. And it's still intact today. It's still intact today. They cannot be held responsible for any actions. So how are you hoping that Fabulous will influence the LGBT community in the military now to be more open with their sexuality while they are working in the services? I want to show them that they're able to be who they are and they shouldn't be afraid of showing you know, their own personalities and what they can bring to the table just because they're gay. I mean, it doesn't give anybody any right to do that to anybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, to come together and that has slowly been happening, that there's um, support groups for people that have been discharged because of their homosexuality from the military. And to take and to empower them is what I really want to do. It's like, take, you can do this. You can make a change. The only person that can change it is you. And that's what we're trying to do with Fabulous. Um, so... What is the primary message you would like to express with Fabulous? I, although I guess you kind of... <laughs> <laughs> um, just, yeah, the, the, the main... The main, main thing point. is total empowerment of your own life. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't be afraid to show who you are. Because mm-hmm. nobody has the right to take your own personality, your own identity away from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how do you think that message will project to the audience and their own views, people who not, are, are not part of the LGBT community towards people in the military. It's, in the U.S., it's slowly becoming more accepted mm-hmm. and uh, because of the ruling from the Supreme Court. And the only place that I've ever met ambiguity against homosexuality um, is the Deep South. And uh, there are still um, Bible beaters that say it's like, you know, it's against God's will and blah, 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 blah. And of course, you know, they don't really read through the entire Bible. They just take experts out of the entire <laughs> bottle to show this is what we believe in. Oh, that's nice. But if you're a true Christian, then you really should know that you can't judge anybody in the first place. Mm-hmm. It's not your place to do that. Okay. Do you have a direct audience that you want to focus on with the show? Uh, the direct audience would be straight-up military personnel. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, the uh, 
the age groups, uh, the 20 to 40 was specific age groups uh, because those are the ones that are actually going into the military and the ones that are currently in the military. And we would also like to challenge the President of the United States to make a formal apology to every single person that was discharged because of that reason. And um, if he doesn't, he's a coward. Would you say creating or writing fabulous has helped you cope with your past? Yeah, I've been still dealing with it because certain parts of my family still want nothing to do with me because of what happened. And I thought that was crazy because I took the discharge because I didn't want my family to be brought into that entire mess. I gave up my entire career for what I believed in, and I shouldn't be penalized for that. So these characters for you in writing the plot, it's been very therapeutic for you into dealing with these situations? Yes. Uh, putting it in a, in a comedy way, yeah, it, it does. It makes me laugh at it, really. I mean, I, I've got over the anger part. I really have. And uh, it's taken me years to get over that because the way that they did it was just... And then them telling me that I can't sue, I had no legal right to sue them, it's just... It's like, how can you tell that, say that to somebody? It's, it's their constitutional right to be who they are, right? And for you to take away my constitutional right, I mean, I, you should be penalized for something. There wasn't even an investigation. Nothing. Do you think you'll be pushing for any kind of compensation from the U.S. government at all, along with an apology? Or I want my benefits back. I did the time. I fought for my country. I bled for my country. I even killed for my country. And for them to take away my God-given right? No. It's just not right. And through comedy, do you think it will help take away some of the people who went through the same thing you did and their anger? I think so. Um, to show them that they're not alone, to give them some relief, to make a connection with somebody to understand what that person's been going through, to show them that we understand what they're going through. Um, how do you think that the environment, like the military environment now, even after DOMA, do you think it's still oppressive deeply towards the LGBT community and that why people might have a hard time expressing their sexuality? I would say yes, especially in the US. Um, the US is so far behind everybody else. Um, you, because you have these die-hard military people that's been in for years, for decades, as commanding officers, they don't want anything to do with it. They believe that you're a weakness, that you're going to rape somebody in a foxhole somewhere. I mean, they, stuff that, this stuff really still happens. You know, uh, They throw blanket parties. They beat men up. They beat women up. I've seen it happen. It's not pretty. And you have to stand there and watch this and because you're afraid for your own life. Murders happen. They hide that. And because the people get beaten to death by their own squadrons. Because you've got meatheads that believe that, you know, you're gonna rape them in the shower or you're gonna try to turn them into gay men or gay women, it's like, it's, why would we even try? <laughs> it's too much fucking effort. <laughs> There's no use. It's like, why would we go after somebody that's straight? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Uh, it's like, what, there's, there's no use. It's not going to happen. And they use their own fear, and they take it out on somebody else. And so... With your show influencing people in the LGBT community to be more open while they're serving the military, mm -hmm. do you think that that will hopefully one day having an overriding of people who are open with who they are in terms of who they're interested in, that that discrimination will subside? Uh, that is my biggest hope. Mm -hmm. It is. Uh, because if they, if the majority of men and women that are gay in the military, and there are a lot of them, believe me, a lot more than people think there are, if they empower themselves 
and showed who they were, they're not going to discharge all of them. There's no way. There wouldn't be a military. And there's thousands of gay men and women in the military. They just hide it very well. Because they feel they have to. Because they feel they have to. And if they didn't, there would there'd be no discrimination. They couldn't. And that's what I'm hoping. That was writer and star Matthew Roberts, creator of the new series Fabulous that will be premiering on Out TV. We are reporting from Arts Report at CITR 11.9 FM at UBC Vancouver campus. This week on the Arts Report, film, theater, dance, books, visual art, and more. Every Wednesday at 5 p.m., the Arts Reporters explore what's fun, fascinating, campy, or critical in the Vancouver art scene. You can find bonus content on our Mixcloud, Facebook, and Twitter. Got an idea for a review, interview, or original production? Email arts at citr.ca. Listen Wednesdays at 5 p.m. or anytime on citr.ca. Join us every other Wednesday from 6.30 to 8 p.m. for Sam Squanch's Hideaway with your host, Anita B., as she plays all Canadian music with a focus on indie rock and pop. You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkaminam-speaking Musqueam people. And welcome back to the Arts Report. This is me, Ashley, and I have some kind of cool things I want to share with you guys today. First of all, we have Mexican-American songstress Lila Downs. She is a Chan Center favorite, and she will be returning with her vibrant and theatrical performances. It's a stunning fusion of Mexican folk with a little bit of rock, a little bit of blues, and a little bit of jazz that will certainly entertain and please your eardrums. So when she's performing in the uh, Chan Sun Concert Hall, it'll be on uh, Sunday, April the 26th at 7 p.m. in Vancouver. And if you're lucky, you'll be some of the first to hear the live me- to hear live her music from her brand new album, Balas y Chocolat. I'm probably saying it very, very wrong. She'll probably have a much more better way of pronouncing it, making it sound much more sexier than I can. It's bullets and chocolate for those who cannot uh, decipher my really, really bad Spanish. And it has its worldwide digital release on March the 24th. For her um, released album, it was inspired by the Mexican Day of the Dead, Dia... I'm going to try my best. Dia de los Muertos. My friend in Mexico is probably going to be like, oh my god, what did you say? I'm so sorry. Anyways, um, it's based on kind of like the Mexican Day of the Dead. It's inspired by it. So Downs is fiercely political about what's happening in her country right now. And she's condemning in her lyrics because some of the violence and corruption that's currently engulfing Mexico. As you may know, there were some several students that went, you know, missing and that people are trying to figure out what happened. They think it's a government kind of cover-up of something much more sinister, as well as the various kind of drug-related gang wars that's happening. Very, very uh, tumultuous condition the country is going through right now, and she gains her inspiration from this sort of uh, strife. Uh, As described by her biography, the songs kind of examine the erosion of civil rights and justice and the still escalating threats to the country's journalists, the excess in modern life, lost love, and more. In addition, her title track is dedicated to migrant children, whose cause she has long advocated for her music alongside indigenous rights. So if you are interested in listening to some politically charged Mexican-American music, Leela Downs, she's performing at the Chan Center, Sunday, April 26th at 7 p.m. in Vancouver with... Her brand new album, Balas y Chocolat. So if you want to kind of listen to something like that, go ahead. Another thing we want to talk about is um, if you were listening to our show before, 
we had something known as the voice to voice. We had some poets come on, and they shared with their uh, poems on the air, as well as uh, let them know about a uh, spoken kind of word concert. Just to remind people again, tomorrow, Thursday, April the sixteenth at eight p.m. at the Saint James Church at three o three Cordova. They are performing again. It is a free, again, free concert. It's about an hour and a half. They have eleven songs. It is in conjunction with the Thursday Writing Collective and the UBC composers, pianists, classical singers. So what they do is they basically have kind of this、um, art song, is what the、uh, terminology is. So all these poets make these kind of poems, and what they do is they. Collaborate with the UBC music students, and they create a piece in which to go along with the poems to kind of, you know, invoke more mood, you know, be more provocative towards the audience. And these eleven art songs are performed with the piano and classical voice by superb performers. So if you are interested, again, it's the Saint James Church, thirty-three Cordova. You've had a little bit of a taste of the poetry. You know it's good. It's free Thursday, April the sixteenth, eight p.m. Another thing that people should kind of, you know, be on the lookout for is something called Cinema Spectacular Two, a motion picture variety show. So a quick run through for the Cinema Spectacular Two. It's happening on April the twenty third, two thousand fifteen. It encompasses short films, trailers, web series previews, and music videos. So back for its second year, as hence the two, Cinema Spectacular is an all-Canadian local cinema celebration of filmmakers working low to no budget on passionate projects that they're involved in. So if you kind of know the industry, you kind of know that a lot of the uh, kind of uh, development, the techniques and whatnot, technical aspects, cost a lot of money. So even like a really short kind of Little clip or film that you see on YouTube could be the result of like thousands of dollars. So it's really interesting to see how people, especially filmmakers, content creators, work with such a low budget and end up with really spectacular results. So what they do is they create kind of a landscape of independent film which are effervescent and involving. So it's hosted at the luxurious Vancouver International Film Center, known as Van Stadia Theater. And Cinema Spectacular is a non-competitive platform. That means、um, no one's like trying to outdo one another. Everyone's just here to kind of support one another and their creative work. And it's to screen projects and kind of you know talk with the locals and see wonderful kind of really like local films and other things that people have come up with. If you are interested, again, it is April twenty-third, two thousand and fifteen. Tickets are available on Eventbrite, and I recommend checking it out. This is their second year, which means there's something pretty good that warrants a second re- repeat. All right, one more thing that people should kind of know: it is actually very, 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 very local. So CITR is actually hiring, so you can apply to be the next Discorder editor. So what is Discorder? Sometimes people don't know, but we'll let people know again. Discorder is a monthly music, art, and culture magazine hosted by CRTR Radio. So what they do at Discorder is exactly what you think of any other publication that does all this kind of you know music, art, and culture stuff. It is a legitimate production of CRTR Radio. You can pick it up、uh, outside of、um, CRTR offices as well as everywhere around、uh, Vancouver. So what they're looking for is they're looking for the next editor. So, as editor, you can lead a team of other editors, writers, artists, and photographers in creating the content that you think is important and that people should know about. One of the、uh, things, though, you have to apply by Thursday, April the thirtieth. So there is、um, a little bit of time left. But if you're really kind of passionate about creating a magazine that showcases all the local talent that Vancouver has to offer. You know, this could be it. It's a very easy way for people to kind of get started on the scene. If you kind of want to kind of dip your toes and you're like, how do I get started? CATR is a great place to start. Discorder, another great place to start. If you don't want to be an editor, you can also contribute in other ways. You can be a writer. You can be a photographer. You can help with the design. So many ways to get involved. 
Oh, also, if you are a UBC student and you're kind of listening and you kind of need a summer job that isn't super lame, we have some cool positions opening at CITR Radio. You can either uh, be a promotions coordinator. What that means is you get to organize media sponsorships with community events and local festivals and renew and recruit friends of CITR and Shindig sponsors and assist with marketing and recruitment efforts. Another thing you can do is maybe rubbing elbows is not your kind of deal. You have being the technical coordinator. So what you do is you can support CITR's technical needs, such as maintaining and troubleshooting CITR's computer networks. That means you'll be everyone's favorite person because you'll help fix everything. <laughs> you can get popular very quick. Anyways, other you know things that you that we would like for people who have uh, experience is uh, hardware, software, websites, podcast services, analyzing website traffic, and brainstorming new media applications. Another thing, if you are interested in programs, is program coordinator. So we need assistance in live broadcasts at community events and festivals as other special programming initiatives and produce PSAs and ads, assist at training and the planning of execution of a week-long CITO radio summer camp for youth. We're giving back to the community. And assist with our digital library, which always needs a lot of assistance. We have a lot of content, just so people know. So if you are interested, um, feel free to send us an email, CITR. Uh, if there's anything else that you want to know about, again, CITR is the way to go. Another thing that people should be aware of, I have a lot of things people should be aware of, but this one is really, really big. People should be aware of this. This is a, uh, there's a rally. Do you guys know about Bill C-51? People might, people might not, but I'll just let people know because uh, it's a big Vancouver cultural issue. Sometimes people think there's nothing happening in Vancouver. No, there's always something happening in Vancouver, and this affects the local people. So this Saturday, April 18th at 1 p.m. at the Vancouver Art Gallery down in Georgia Street in downtown, Vancouverites are being invited to join thousands of Canadians and residents of Canada across the country in solidarity against Bill C-51. John, do you know what B- Bill C-51 is? Well, if you could give me a description of it, it uh, I-, I think that would be the best route <laughs> to move forward. Sure. Well, B- Bill C-51, um, it- it's-, it's kind of um, hard-, hard to kind of explain, but it's-, it's basically a spying kind of surveillance sort of thing. So as you know, um, Canada has declared war on ISIS uh, alongside the United States and they are kind of um, they have this as a security measure to make sure that you know people aren't terrorists that they're keeping you know the country safe and that's the reason why they need to know you know what you're doing with your phone and whatnot so that is Bill kind of that's Bill C-51 in kind of like a really 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 small nutshell there's probably some other stuff i very very quickly glossed over my apologies to those who know it more than i do but it is a proposed anti-terrorism legislation so this rally what they want to do is culminating on a week of education on bill c-51 which was this week april the 13th to the 18th and it's declared by openmedia.ca which is an organization dedicated to the protection protection of an open internet and online rights and what they want to do is they kind of want to, um, this rally, what they want to do is, ra- of course, raise public awareness. But it's also kind of like a party thing. There will be a lot of musicians at the rally if you want to just come to see the musicians. You have uh, Zachary the Zolas, and you also have other speakers uh, coming by. And the march will also kind of involve a lot of uh, PSAs to inform the public on what it actually is. So if you are not for the uh, bill and you strongly, strongly, strongly are opposed to it and want to kind of join your fellow Canadians, again, it is April the 18th, uh, 1 p.m. at the Vancouver Art Gallery down by George Street. I know for sure that traffic is going to be heck. So this is a pre-warning to those who are thinking of going to downtown this weekend around 1 o'clock. Don't. Don't do it. (laughs) And uh, what do we have coming up next? Well, we have, I believe, Arts on Air. 
All right. So, uh... so again, thank you so much for everyone joining me today. This is Ashley, April the 15th, and I'm signing off of the Arts Report. Thank you. Last night, I left the bar. I was thirsty, and I don't drink wine. I was desperate. I needed blood. I turned to the only place I could. The only place that could possibly help me. Hello, Canadian Blood Services. Hello. I need some blood. A. Positive or negative, it doesn't matter. I'm sorry, we're all out of A positive and negative. Would you like some O instead? No. No, that won't do. Thank you. Good night. Save me. Save yourself. Give blood. Voluntarily. This message was brought to you courtesy of the Canadian Blood Services and CITR Radio 101.9 FM. From CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver, this is UBC Arts on Air. I'm your host, Ira Nadell. Each week we feature the ideas and stories of students and staff within the Faculty of Arts at the University of British Columbia. Today, Chris Lee, director of UBC's new Asian Canadian and Asian Migration Studies program. Chris, welcome to the show. Well, I want to begin with this new program. What, what is it really about and who enrolls in such a program? Yeah, well, I think anyone who spent more than a minute in Lower Mainland will know that this is a city that's shaped by people from all over the world. Um, and the history of Vancouver and BC has always been about migration and people from all over coming here, contacting each other, and cultures changing. Um, in this sense, Vancouver is actually like a lot of different cities around the Pacific Rim, Shanghai, Tokyo, Beijing. And so this program is about both local communities of Asian descent, but also think about those communities in a global context and think comparatively across different countries and different continents. But who actually chooses to take the program and do this minor? Yeah, well, this is a multidisciplinary minor. So students are taking classes from different departments in the Faculty of Arts. Um, some students take it because they grew up in communities that had large immigrant or migrant populations. Uh, some students take this program because their own family histories include migration, and so it's a way for them to understand their own background more. Um, and then other students take this program because they're interested in working with multicultural communities. And this program is meant to give them some background uh, and some context 